Well, peace be with you. The battle is waged from a place of stillness. The battle is waged from a place of stillness. That's our central governing thought and idea this morning. Now think of an actual battle. Say if there's an army and all of a sudden they've been surprised and there's a surprise attack. How are they going to respond? Probably they're going to have chaos. Probably it's going to be noisy. They're going to be confused, maybe even fatigued if they aren't properly ready, right? And so it's not going to go very well for them if all those things are happening. But if they operate from a place of stillness, it's going to go better. And when I say stillness, I don't necessarily mean physical stillness, although that could be a part of it sometimes. I mean kind of clarity and calm and focus and rest and readiness. That's really what is meant by the word stillness. The battle is waged from a place of stillness. But of course, you know, already where I'm going, I'm not talking about actual physical battle out in the world. I'm talking about the battles, the hardships, the difficulties, the storms that we face through life. The battles that we face are waged from a place of stillness, right? Battle and, and war, this is language we use for the various difficult things that we struggle with. So uh, maybe you're in one of those. Maybe you are going to be in one of those. Maybe you know it. Maybe you don't. Who knows what tomorrow will hold, right? Maybe it's a battle with respect to your family, not against your family, but for someone in your family. You're going to need to fight for someone in a powerful and a strong way. Maybe it's some sort of personal battle or, or something that, that, that you are dealing with. Maybe other people don't even know about it. Maybe it's some uh, larger spiritual battle against the dark forces in the world. And it's going to go better for you if you're operating from a place of stillness, meaning I'm able to engage this, this significant thing that is before me, if I'm operating from that place of calm, of clarity, that place of readiness, and that place of rest. Now, if stillness is so critical to waging our battles, why is it so hard? Well, there's a philosopher by the name of Susan Langer uh, who lived quite a while ago. She said, a person can adapt himself to anything his imagination can cope with, but he cannot deal with chaos. When there's chaos in our heart or mind or our soul, these various words we use to describe the innermost, deepest part of ourselves that others cannot see, when that's chaos, it is very hard for us to do anything else with success. Maybe it's a personal kind of chaos. Maybe it's a political chaos out in the world that is impacting you. Maybe it's some cultural chaos. Up is down, down is up. But how can we get to this place of, of, of calmness and of stillness if it's so hard to achieve in a time such as ours, where there is information overload, where there is technological buzz all the time when our minds and hearts are so packed with everything? And so this is the reason we're going to turn to Psalm 131 today. Um, and so Psalm 131 is short, beautiful, enduring. Short, beautiful, enduring. It's, it's special to me. It was one of the first psalms that I memorized. And it's only three verses long, folks. You're like, I want to memorize three verses of the Bible. Do this, and you'll have memorized a whole psalm in a single day. How impressive. <laughs> Well, that sound, right? Okay, so we're going to open our Bibles to, to uh, Psalm 131. I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. A couple of things by way of context that I'll highlight. Uh, your Bible will most likely say a song of ascents. Now, what does that mean? So uh, Psalm uh, 131, is, so there's 150 Psalms. And within the Psalms, there's, there's 
smaller collections. So Psalms 120 to 134 are called the Songs or Psalms of Ascents. And you think of ascent ascending. So it is largely held, but this group of Psalms were read by pilgrims or sung by pilgrims as they're going to Jerusalem for the, one of the annual pilgrimage festivals. So you can imagine people from communities and caravans, and they're going to Jerusalem singing or praying these Psalms. It says the Psalm of David. Uh, and so uh, there's no reason for us to doubt that he is the author. David was a huge figure in the Bible, a prolific psalm writer uh, as well. So let's jump in. Verse 1, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Pause. Okay, so a couple of things happening on here. The governing theme in this verse, and we can't miss that, is of humility. So we don't know what David had been dealing with. We don't know what hardship. Now, David had been through many battles in his life, okay? So we're not told specifically what he's responding to here. He had personal battles. He had moral battles. He had family battles. He had battles with respect to do with his kingship and lineage, battles for the people of Israel. He had so many battles in his life. We don't know the context that gave rise to him writing this psalm. But he does assume a posture of humility, and that's very important for us. My heart is not lifted up. That means it's not puffed up. It's not arrogant. His eyes are not raised too high. Then he says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. So it's as if he's like, I know my place. I know my station in life. Now, let me tell you what this does not mean. It does not mean that we shouldn't use our minds and learn and seek after the things of God because we should. Scripture tells us, right? And so when we look at a passage like this, we have to remember that there is an organic unity to the Bible. Organic unity, that means that although there's different authors and styles and genres even, it all flows from one governing mind, which is the mind of God, right? And so Jesus tells us in Mark 12, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, right? And so what is going on here? Here's what I think is happening. Now, in Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 29, verse 29, it's easy to remember because it's 29, 29. Uh, this is a passage that's so important and significant, but it's, it's much, uh, much neglected. Here's what it says. This is one of the books of Moses. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we might do the works of his law. Okay. So there's two categories of things. There's secret things which belong to the Lord. Those are things that you will never know. And there's things in life that we don't know and that we will never know, right? These are, th- these are things in the mind of God, reasons, plans. He knows them. But then there's things revealed. They belong to us and to our children forever that we might do the works of his law. And so there's things we can learn about God and the world and human nature and everything else and, and creation and all this stuff. Then there's the revealed things in scripture. So here I get a sense of David saying, I'm not putting my place, I'm not putting myself in your place, God. I'm not doing that. I, I'm, just, I'm just your servant. You're the master, I'm the servant. You're the master, I'm the servant. You're the master, I'm the servant. Biblical commentator Matthew Henry says, to know God in our duty is learning sufficiently high enough for us. To know God and our duty under God is learning sufficiently high for us. Verse 2, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. I love that. So a couple things. I've calmed and quieted my soul. What's the opposite of having a soul that is calm and quiet? It's having a soul which is chaotic and noisy. 
chaotic and noisy. What would you rather have, a soul that is chaotic and noisy or calm and quiet? Calm and quiet, please. And notice that he says, this is of his soul. So sometimes uh, someone will ask you how you're doing. Good. I'm doing good. You might not be good, but you say good. Sometimes you'll be sitting in a restaurant or you'll see someone, a friend, a neighbor at the, you know, the side of the soccer field or whatever, and, and you might look good. You've got it together. You've got your nice jacket on, but you're not good. Inside, inside your soul, this is a place that no one else can see. Only you know about it, and God has created you, right? What's going on in here? There's times when we say we're good, and we think we you know, might have things together. We put a nice shirt on, nice blouse on for Sunday morning church, whatever it happens to be, but sometimes we just know we're not good in there. Here, David is saying that in his soul, I have calmed and quieted my soul. His soul is calm and quiet. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. I love that. It's so beautiful. Now, a weaned child is a child who is like between three and five. This is a child who's been weaned from nursing, right? Is now starting to eat other kinds of foods and liquids. So this isn't an infant. This is like a toddler. And so David is saying, just as a young child is so cared for and nursed in the arms of a mother, think of that love, that provision, that safety, that security, that sense of being home. David is like, that is like my soul within me, and that is an amazing thing to aspire for. Now, this image is also going to be an image of God because it extends to God, the God of Israel, in verse uh, 3. But think of that calm, quiet place. Now, as I was uh, reading this, something struck uh, me that I had never thought about. I've memorized this verse several years ago, and it never struck me till now. I'm wondering if David isn't drawing from his own personal memory of his own mother, to make this analogy. I wonder if he's thinking back to those, you know, this is the time when you start to have memories, right? Maybe he's thinking about his own mom. By the way, we don't know the name of David's mother. He is a towering figure in the Bible. So many books about him. He writes so many Psalms because the, the king of Israel, you know, the Messiah is called son of David. We don't know. We know the name of Moses' mother, Jochebed. By the way, not really a name that you find in top 10 names books for girls these days, Jochebed. Uh, we know Jesus' mother, her name, Mary, of course. We don't know her name. Now, uh, so we know very little about her. Obviously, he, he had a mother. But in Psalm 86, he says that she served the Lord. So speaks about her faithfulness. So he remembers her fondly. So maybe we don't know, but maybe he's thinking back to this memory of his mother. But I think the thing we're supposed to take here is that this image of, of being calm and quiet is very closely related to a very young child in his mother's arms. Uh, several years ago, probably, I don't know, 10 uh, 10, 9, 10 years ago, we had gone out to PEI uh, for a vacation in the summer. It was August. And we're out there, and we're you know, playing on the beach in the ocean. It was lovely. And I was in a little bit, but Anna was quite young at the time, and she's kind of toddling around just like a meter or two in the water. And she's like picking up rocks, as you do. So I'm a little bit out further, and so the deep is out beyond me. So there's the deep, there's me, there's her playing, and then she's right next to the shore. And some big boat went and created some huge waves, and these waves were coming, and I told her about it. And the easiest thing for her to do, she was concerned, the easiest thing for her to do was to turn around and just take a couple steps and be on dry land. But she didn't do that. She turned around, and she ran further into the water, into the deep, towards the waves, because she wanted me to pick her up. And that's interesting. She's not like calculating this. That's just something she does instinctually as a small child. Soon as danger came, it was more important to be in the arms of a caring, protective parent than it was just to turn around and take a few steps and be on shore. I think this is the image that David is painting for us here. 
Final verse, verse 3. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Some of your translations will say hope in the Lord. It's a Hebrew word, uh, verb yachal, sometimes translated as hope, sometimes as wait, which is interesting because waiting includes hope. Hope often includes waiting for something to happen, right? And so here it's extended. So initially he was talking to the Lord. Now he's talking to the people. Everyone, he casts this about God's character that we might have common quiet, not only for himself, but for the entire nation. And so we bring this uh, close psalm to a close there. This is the word of the Lord. So as we think of some application, we're remembering our phrase that the battle is waged from a place of stillness. And so what we're going to do is we're going to ask, how can we calm and quiet our souls? Because I think this is something wonderful that David has accomplished here. He has calmed and quieted his soul. God has enabled him to do so. And we're going to ask for whatever we happen to be dealing with, if the battle is waged from a place of stillness, how can we get there? All right, we're going to look at a couple things. You can calm and quiet your soul by one, being confident about your eternal destination. The context of the Psalms is faith. The context of the Bible is faith. Even in verse 3, he's saying all these things, and then he reminds them, hey, our God is the God of eternity. Hope, trust in him both now and forevermore. And we can so easily forget this fact, okay? So if we don't have that, what happens is we live our lives in increasing fear and we feel that there's intense and increasing pressure for us to do everything, to get it all done, to be everything to everybody in this life here and now because that's all there is. This isn't all there is. Everyone lives forever, our souls. Some live forever in hell, which is a a grave and serious thing. Others in Christ live forever in the very presence of God. That's the side of the equation you want to be on. But when we think about that, our time on earth is such a small drop in the bucket. I did a, an illustration about this with a, with a rope one time. I, I stood on the one side of the sanctuary with a rope, and someone stood on the other side. I said, imagine this is eternity, and I put a pin in one end of the rope. This is your life on earth. It is so short compared to the glory and wonder. And when we remember that, that hope, all of a sudden, that hope and that, that knowledge works backwards and we have increasing confidence and even peace and calm in this life because we know this isn't all there is. This is just a small drop, drop in the bucket. John Harper was a Scotsman. And I heard the story about a Harper on Instagram uh, at Creed's Confessions, but he was a Scotsman. He was aboard the Titanic. And so the Titanic, we all know, in 1912... Um, went down in the North Atlantic, uh, the biggest ship in the world at the time. It's, you know, those huge ships that are much bigger than that now. But there's stories, of course, that survive from the Titanic going down from the survivors, right? And they tell a story of John Harper going around on the decks. So the Titanic is actually going down. He is reported to have said, women, children, and the unsaved to the lifeboats. Huh? Women, children, okay, yes, that's... That's a good thing to do. And the unsaved to the lifeboats. In other words, he was so so sure of his eternal destination. He was confident of that. He's like, if I die, it's okay. But there's other people who don't yet know God, and they need more time. They need the spot on that lifeboat greater than I do. I love that. That's someone, my friends, who is confident about their eternal destination, and that works backward against fear in our lives, and against the increasing pressure that this life is all there is, it isn't. Second, 
We can calm and quiet our souls when we admit we're not in charge. Yeah, Matthew, I know that. Do you? When we admit we're not in charge, this is about humility. See, if we don't have this, there is a mental weight that accumulates in our life, and we start to think that it's all up to us. I have to have all the answers. I have to have it all figured out. I need to know what the plan always is all the time. And where does this flow from? It traces from verse 1. David comes in, in an act of a posture of humility. Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. And so this is about admitting the sovereignty of God, that God is in fact almighty, that God is working good things for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, right? Romans 8, 28. And that's actually not all up to us because when we start to think it does, and we might not admit it, but when we start to operate and function as if it is all to us, as if we are in charge, it works backwards and starts to rob us of our life. Now, if this is some, something that you struggle with, uh, I, have a, I, I like little practical things that you can do to cultivate good um, practices in your life. Uh, uh, humility is one of them. Uh, humility is the cardinal virtue. <clears throat> and so here's, here's a, one of those practical ideas. Start to address God in your prayers as boss. Boss, this is why I love you. Boss, this is what I'm struggling with. Boss, this is what what I need help with today. It's a very simple reminder that God is God. Number three, we can calm and quiet our souls by setting up camp within a God who loves, provides, and equips. Okay? Now, this is very essential. So this builds on verse two, the image we have of, of the mother and her arms. Okay? So first thing I talk about those three words, loves, provides, and equips. So we are setting up camp within arms, a God who loves, provides, equips first, loves. God loves you. And you're like, yeah, I know that. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I've sung it forever. But what happens is as you grow in faith, you actually become more aware of your own sin. You gain a knowledge in other sorts of ways, but that's one of the areas that you grow in. And you start to think over, yeah, I know God loves me. Maybe he doesn't even like me, though. If God knew what I think, if God know what I looked at, if God know what I said, if God knew how I transgressed this or that or anything, I'm not so sure. And so maybe there's someone who needs to hear this. God loves you with a ferocious love. Think of someone who has loved you in your life, someone who has loved you the most, and, and, and it's made you feel good and that's been important to you. That's nothing compared to the ferocious, jealous love that our Heavenly Father has for us. So he loves you. He also provides for you. He provides for you, right? And we, we can get all mixed up between needs and wants, but his Heavenly Father provides for his children the things that they need the most. He provides. And quite often we go through something and later, in a, the rear view mirror of our mind's eye, we think, oh yeah, I saw how God provided me with that or he opened that door or he put this person in my life. The goal is to be able to see and to know, deep down know in your soul that he's doing that now. He provides for his people. Third, he equips you. So he equips you. It's not like he just puts you out in the world and says, okay, you're on your own. He is always with you by the power of his spirit, right? Jesus says he will be with us always to the very end of the age. But also, God has equipped us as people. So 
<clears throat> think about all the people who are dropping kids off to university or college this weekend. Right? They're doing that. I've talked to some of them. It's not like you, you have this time with a child and then they go to another, another school, another town, or another city. It's like, okay, there you go. You've spent so much time with them. You've sat with them. And when they're sick, you've sat with them to help them with their homework. You've had meals and discussions forming character around the dinner table. And you have had important uh, talks at bedtime, all these things. You've been equipping your whole life before a child goes out into the world. And so God is equipping his people. He's equipping us with strengths, with, with, with spiritual gifts, with, with talents, with all these things. He's equipping us by the power of his spirit, and he's doing all these things. Now, notice the first part of that sentence says, setting up camp within a God who loves, provides, and equips. So physically, he's not there. Physically, we're not in his arms. And so what do we do? We need stabilizing things in our life, practices which remind us of these realities, that he loves us, that he is providing for us, that he is equipping us. So what do we do? We go to weekly worship. Weekly. Weekly. We read our Bibles every day. We pray every day, every day, every day. We, we look for opportunities to serve others. We consciously gather with other Christians in fellowship. These are the pillars, the stabilizing pillars the Lord puts in her life. This is what setting up camp within a God who loves, provides, and equips us is like in our lives. What often we think about, oh, yeah, I'm just going to dip my toe in something there, and I'm really going to experience all those things powerfully like that. If we don't have these things, our lives do not have enough structure to deal with the storms that are around us. Fourth and finally, we can calm and quiet our souls by taking back your mind. And this is a big one. This is a whole series in and of itself, but I just want to say a few quick things. And here I'm talking about the powerful rise and prevalence of technology screens and social media in our lives. Matthew, I've, I'm, I'm in control of my own mind. Are you? Are you? Linda Stone, a former executive with Apple, coined the phrase continuous partial attention. She writes that we're much more motivated by not wanting to miss anything. We want to be part of this broader set of connections that are out there. And the unfortunate cost of that is when you're on top of everything, it's hard to get to the bottom of anything. And we're confused. And we're comparing ourselves to people. And they're scrolling nonstop, and there's news. Everything that's on the news is framed as a crisis. We're not wired to be able to take it like this. If we don't have greater deliberate practices when it comes to our mind, it's like we are letting strangers into our brain and giving them the wheel. How many of us have seen those movies, right? Those movies where two people are in the front seat and they're, they're fighting for control of a vehicle. Well, imagine that vehicle is your brain and you're there and you're driving, but someone else is coming in. It's like when we have unchecked, unfettered technology, social media, screens, news in our lives all the time with no filters, what we're doing is we're letting a stranger in who is not our friend. Many times. A place at the table. <laughs> The other day I was like, oh, I'm going to check my phone. I'm going to spend 10 or 15 minutes <clears throat> before I head out the door checking, checking things. I was like, why did I do that? Do I have to do that sometimes? You've got to check a message. You've got to do post something. I get that. But when it's unfettered, when it's unfiltered, I was like, oh, man, I'm just frustrated and angry at what I just saw. What does Paul say to the Corinthians? Take every thought captive to Christ. And so I'd like to, you to imagine yourself 
for dealing with the hardships that you are struggling with. And we're keeping our, our main phrase in here. The battle is waged from a place of stillness. We're keeping that in mind, okay? I'd like you to imagine a few things. You calming and quieting your soul by being confident in your eternal destination. And you forget that sometimes, but you grow in that confidence and you know that life is short, but that's okay because you know where you're going. Second, that you admit frequently that you're not in charge and you grow in grace and humility in the sense that God is sovereign, that he is in control even when I don't know what's going on. You also calm and quiet your soul by setting up camp within a God who loves, provides, and equips. And you have these stabilizing things in your life that remind you of that fact. And you also have taken practical steps to take back your mind because you've let some other strangers into your brain and they are at the steering wheel way more often than they should be. The battle is waged from a place of stillness. And for all the things that you are dealing with, September is a great time to start again. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Final thought, Blaise Pascal, who's the great thinker, mathematician, once said this. I love this. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly alone in a room. All of humanity's problems stem from man or woman's inability to sit quietly alone in a room. Amen.